0: Or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclive.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus as your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, church. How are you feeling today? <clears throat> I'm going to start by asking you guys a question today. I wonder how many of you are like me in the sense that you tend to misplace things that are incredibly valuable. Um, I just have a few items on the table here that I tend to misplace frequently. Let's talk about this first one here. Oh, my keys. Okay. Anybody else misplace your keys? Yes. These, are, these little suckers are tough to keep a hold of Um, uh, what's something else there oh definitely my phone anybody else just where is my phone I think that's a question I ask my wife about every day or every other day yes where's my have you seen my phone now thankfully they have these things called the tile any tile fans out there you press the tile and the phone buzzes and then if you misplace your keys you can go to the app it's a wonderful invention how about, how about your chapstick? I mean, especially around this time. Anybody else? Where is my chapstick? What pocket did I leave it in it? It's just very valuable stuff here. What about headphones? Anybody else? AirPods. They've changed my life. I just can't keep track of them. Anybody? I mean, it's just, I lose one. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, they just come out. I mean, they're small. They can fall in different places. I often misplace those. I've misplaced my Bible many times. Anybody else? I mean, I have 17 Bibles, I'm a pastor, but I do have a favorite, and from time to time I'm like, where is my Bible, you know, did I leave it in, what coffee shop was I at last, or whatever, but how many of you have ever risk- misplaced your, your wallet? Yes, yes. I know some of you are hyper-organized, and you have a place for everything, and that's like 5% of the population, you guys, you guys are, let's make fun of you for a little bit, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah, put it here, put it here. Have a spot for it. You know, those are the people that never lose anything. And the rest of us, civilization, we tend to misplace valuable things. I remember one year, Jackie and I were on vacation in Florida. And vacation's different from a trip in the sense that you leave your children home. So... Uh, so we left the kids home, if you bring them with you, it's a trip. Anyway, we're on vacation, and, and uh, we're there Saturday night, the first day of vacation. We were like, oh, it's Sunday, so let's go to church. There was this multi-site church there we wanted to check out, and we was just trying to you know, uh, learn and, and, and be fed. and all. So we go to this church, have a great experience. We go, we, we leave, we have lunch, um, you know, we hang out, we, took, we, we did a little uh, bike ride around the neighborhood. It's a great first day of vacation. Early afternoon, I'm like, hey, have you seen my wallet? You know, and losing your wallet on vacation, that's a big deal, because you put some extra money in there, because you're on vacation, you know, credit cards, license, all that stuff, and and I'm like, no, I haven't seen it. So I go out, it's probably in the car, right? So go out, check in the car, it's not there. Anxiety level kind of gets a little bit high, you know, higher. And so I'm like, well, it's probably back in the house. So I look around the house, can't find it, it's not in the house. I'm thinking, you know what, I probably left it at the church because we were there and I remember having it at the church. So I get in my car, I drive 10 minutes, 15 minutes back to the church. Amazingly, they're still open. It's like four in the afternoon. And so uh, I go upstairs, they let me do a tour. It's probably under the seat. I remember where I was sitting. I'll just go up there really quick. And so, and I go under there. I'm almost positive it's there because I remember having my phone and my wallet together and I put it under the seat. And uh, I get there and I look under the seat and it's not there. Then my anxiety level gets higher. You know, I mean? have, you, have you been there? It's like, it's there, it's gotta be there. And then it's not there. It's like, oh my gosh, where's this thing? So go home. We literally get back on our bikes. My wife does, you're awesome. She gets on her bike. She's searching, looking for the, maybe it fell out of my pocket. We're on the bike ride and get back. And so it's nowhere to be found. And like, I'm just, I'm just really frustrated at this time. Cause how can you be, we had six days left of vacation with no wallet. That's gonna be awful. And so she goes back out to the, to the car to check it one more time. Like, man, I already checked the car. I've been out there. I wouldn't have driven back to the church if I thought it was in the car, but go ahead. She comes back in and she says, found it. And I'm like, what? Where was it? Because I checked and, and almost thought to myself, did you have it in your pocket the whole time? You know where it was? Some of you know where it was. It was in that evil, dark place between the console and the seat. It's a demonic space. It just sucks the valuable thing. You know, French fries, M&M's, wallets, all these different you know, things. Gosh, why can't car makers figure out a, you know, a remedy to that problem? And I even looked in there, too, and it was there the whole time. And when she found the wallet, man, I had this, I had this, this, Rejoice, because now you're on. Now you can enjoy vacation. You have your, your wallet. I want to share three stories with you today, that Jesus actually told. They're fantastic stories in the Book of Luke, chapter fifteen, and they're stories about something incredibly valuable that was lost. It was so valuable it was worth an all-out search, and then there was a finding of the item, and then there was a rejoicing. And each one of the stories, those those elements exist. And Jesus tells these three stories to to bring home one point. And in your notes, if you're a note taker, I encourage you to take notes. Here's the point Jesus is going to make. He's going to basically say, here's why I came. I came to put into place what is, say it with me, out of place. Like this is, if you want to understand why I came into the world, this is my purpose. This is my mission statement. I came to put into place what is out of place. The title of my talk today is, Lost and found. Lost and found. One day Jesus was out teaching, and as he usually did during his earthly ministry. And I want to look at this passage in Luke chapter 15. It starts in verse 1. Check this out. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Not your average run-of-the-mill sinner, like a little bit of lying, a little bit of stealing you know no these were big time sinners okay these were pain outside the line people these were like prostitutes and murderers and these were the scum of the earth people we lock up today and put away in jail cells tax collectors and notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach which is so ironic Don't you think? Think about this with me. Jesus, the Son of God, tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin, completely holy, completely righteous. He is God in a body. And people who were notorious sinners, the worst of the worst, were drawn to him. How ironic is that? I love the way Andy Stanley put it. Pastor of North Point Community Church. He said, those who were least like him, liked him. How is that possible? How is it possible that people were, who were total, complete sinners were drawn to a completely holy and righteous individual? Do you think it was because he maybe watered down the truth? Do you think it was because he made it easy? Do you think it's because he didn't really talk about issues? He just talked about, oh, God is love and everybody's happy. No, Jesus was truth. He embodied truth. He didn't water down the truth. It wasn't because he watered anything down or made it easy. It was because of the love and compassion that oozed out of him as he spoke the truth. And so those who were notorious sinners were drawn to him, those who were least like him, liked him, wouldn't it be awesome? And this is one of my goals, is to live my life in such a way that those who are least like me like me. Wouldn't that be something if every Christian made that a goal of their life? Instead of getting mad at sinners and tweeting about sinners and getting angry with sinners and complaining about sinners, did Jesus do that? Did he come to this world and rant and rave on Twitter and Facebook about how awful the world is? Did he do that? Then why would you do that? In fact, when you do that, or if I do that, which I never do, check my Twitter account. (laughs) When we do that, unbelievers and those outside of the church go, you're a jerk, And I want nothing to do with you or your faith or your church. Thank you very much. We have to change the way we think. Anyway, this is a different sermon for another day. I'm getting way off here. That's not the point of my talk. Let's get back on track here. right? So Jesus is preaching those who are least like him like him. But not everybody likes the fact that those who are least like him like him. Watch verse 2. This, that, this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law, the pastors and teachers of that day, they were very upset and they began to complain. Why is he associating with such sinful people and even eating with them? When you had a meal with someone back in Jesus' time, Jesus' day, it was a sign of friendship. It was a sign of, of acceptance. It was a sign of saying, hey, you are okay with me. Why is he doing this? They're so upset. They're so angry. In their mind... The only thing that God wanted to do with such people is to send lightning bolts from heaven to punish them and snuff them out and snuff them off the face of the earth. The way that they would say it was there's joy in heaven when God strikes dead a sinner on earth. That was their theology. And so when they see Jesus eating with these people, they're like, what is he doing? And so he tells three stories to make this point. I have come into the world to put what is out of place into place. And the first story is the story of the lost sheep the lost sheep. Jesus says to this crowd to answer their objection, to answer their criticism. There was this shepherd who had a 100 sheep and one of them drifted away. And to his audience, those criticizing him, he says, wouldn't that shepherd leave the 99, not by themselves. See, back in those days, shepherds would be in groups of two or three. Wouldn't he leave the 99 sheep with the other shepherds and chase after the one who drifted away? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes. And upon finding that sheep in his joy, put it on his shoulders and bring it back home and gather his friends around and rejoice because the lost sheep is found. And the answer was yes again. And then Jesus says this in verse 7. Chapter 15. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God. Now, if you were here last week, we talked about what that means. To repent is to turn around, to acknowledge I'm going the wrong way with my life and I'm going to turn back. I'm going to enter into God's kingdom and do things in his way. Isn't there more joy in heaven over one sinner who does that than over the 99 sheep? That have not drifted away and that do not need to repent. And the answer is yes. You want to know why I'm hanging out with people like this? It's because that's why I came. The Father has sent the Son into the world to put back into place what is out of place. And that's these precious people. And God's heart rejoices when one of them turns back to my Father. And you could almost imagine the, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law going, really? Because Jesus jumps into another story. He must have seen it on their faces. (laughs) He says, all right, that one didn't work. Let me try another one. There's this woman, okay? This is the story of the lost coin. These are three stories back to back to back. There's a woman. She's got 10 coins. She loses one of them. Jesus says, doesn't she sweep her whole house until she finds that coin? And when she finds it, doesn't she get her friends together? And don't they all rejoice that she found her coin? Now you have to understand the value of this coin to understand why it was worth an all-out search. Back in those days when a Jewish woman got married, she would have this headdress, and on the headdress was 10 coins. And she would often work very, very hard to save up enough money to get these coins and even sell a lot of her possessions to get this headdress. And she would wear it after her wedding day. It kind of served as a wedding ring. It was very similar to the wedding ring to say, hey, I am now a married woman. And so to lose one of these 10 coins that made up her headdress, it was worth an all-out search it was, a, it was a travesty. It was, a, it was something that she had to stop everything she was doing so she could go find that valuable possession, whether it's a phone or a wallet or whatever it is. So she sweeps her house. And back in those days, the, the floors were not like ours. They weren't tile and wood and carpet. They were oftentimes dirt floors pressed down mud, often with hay pressed into the mud to keep it all together. So if you drop something on the floor, it wasn't like, oh, you could just find it right there. It wasn't like there was electricity. You could turn the lights on and everything is bright so you can see. No, there was often time in in Jewish homes back then, one window where the sunlight would come in. And then obviously when the sun would go down, all you had was candlelight. It was very difficult to find this coin. So she sweeps the whole house. She searches until she finds it. Gets all her friends together and says, rejoice with me, I found my coin. Then Jesus says this in verse 10. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner, say it with me, repents. God is searching the earth to put back into place what is out of place. And that's people. And remember what Jesus, he's he's answering their objection. Why do you associate with such people? Why do you eat with them? All God wants to do is punish them. He's like, oh, you got it all wrong. All God wants to do is save them. All God wants to do is put back into place what is out of place. And you can almost see that they're not getting it. They're sitting there, they're listening. You know, it's not sinking in. So Jesus jumps into a third story. This is the best one of all. Perhaps the greatest parable Jesus ever taught. And this is the story of the lost son. You could call it the story of the compassionate father, the loving Father. Here's how it goes. Jesus says, well, one more time, guys. Let me, let me triple down on this so, so, it, so you can be crystal clear on what, the purpose of why I came into the world. He says there's these two sons. One's younger, one's older. The younger son says to his father, hey, dad, give me my inheritance early, which was a major insult back then to a father. You're supposed to wait until your father dies, and then you get your inheritance. But this son had a fever. <laughs> He had had caught something. He had had caught that fever that says, I think the grass is greener on the other side. Anybody else ever been there? With a job, with a marriage, with a family or whatever. I think the grass is greener on the other side. Here's a bit of a tip when it comes to that syndrome, that, that fever. If you begin to think that the grass is greener on the other side in a marriage, in a business, in a job or whatever, water your own grass. It works. Because the grass is never greener on the other side. But you couldn't tell that to this young little guy. He 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 saw he, he had friends out there that were living life and, and here he is home with his dad in this you know you know rinky dink house and just hanging out with his brother. He's like, I want to get out of here. I want to I want to break through and, and I want to experience life and, and some lessons you can only learn by by tasting them. And experiencing them. So the dad gives him his money. He takes his money. Jesus says he goes off and he spends it in wild living. And when he's almost out of his money, a famine hits the land. So now everybody's out of work. There's no food. And so somehow he manages to talk this farmer into a job. And and, and so the farmer gives him a job feeding pigs out in his field. Not a very lucrative job. And so one day he's out there and he's in this mud pit with pigs And he's feeding the pigs and he's he's realizing, man, these pigs got more food than I do. And he began to become envious of the food the pigs were eating. This is as low as you can go. Has anybody ever been there? Envious of pig food? Sometimes Jesus has to let us go and and to show us the grass is not greener on the other side. So there he is in the mud and he's looking at these pigs and he's tempted to put their food in his mouth and he's like, oh. Jesus says he comes to his senses and he goes, wait a second. Wait a second. My dad's got all these hired servants back at the house and I, here, here's what I'll do. I'll just, I'll just get out, out of this pit, and I'll go back to my dad, and I'll tell him, I don't want to be your son anymore. I've kind of lost that privilege. All I want to do is be your hired servant, and, and I, I'll, just, I'll just go back, and, he'll, and I'll have food, and I'll have a warm bed. And so he gets up, and he goes home. Listen to verse 20. So he returned home to his father. What does it mean to repent? Didn't we say it means to turn around, to to acknowledge that I'm going the wrong way? I need to go back to my father. That's what it means to return. And by the way, just a little side note what is the rationale for repentance? What is the motivation for anyone to repent? What is the basis? For one turning one's life around. Isn't it the unconditional love and mercy of God? Isn't it the knowledge that if I go home, my dad will receive me? I mean, what if this cat, what if this kid thought that I can't go home? Man, I know my dad's temper. I know that if I show up on the porch, he's going he's to punish me. He might even beat me. He might even make me pay everything back. I can't pay back. I can't. He might, he might just run me off. I've insulted him. I can't go home. What if that was what he thought about his father? Would he have gone home, yes or no? No way. Some of you think that about God. Some of you have thought about going home and repenting and getting back into church and giving your life completely back to God because you know you're on the wrong path, but you haven't. And the reason you haven't, listen, is because you're not convinced that if you show up on the porch, he will receive you. And you are dead wrong. Let me show you. So he gets up and he goes back to his dad. And while while he was still a long way off, not even close to home yet, his father saw him coming. Now, why did his father see him coming? Wasn't his dad on the porch? Wasn't he pacing back and forth? Weren't his eyes searching the horizon? Yes or no? Talk to me. How is it that his dad saw him when he was still way out there? It was because his dad was what? Talk to me. His dad was looking for him. His dad was relentlessly pursuing him, saying, when's my son going to come home? Where is he? I can't wait. All I want to do is receive him. I wish he would come home. And then here he is. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. There he is. And what I'm about to read to you is perhaps the best statement in the entire Bible. Maybe in all of the literature in this entire world, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. Picture this God running after sinners. And when he gets to his son, he embraces him. And after he embraces him, he starts kissing him. There is no faith system on this planet other than Christianity. Listen to me. You can check it out. Judaism. You can check out Hinduism. You can check out the Muslim faith. You can look at any faith system, any other religion on this planet. None of them portray God as a God who runs towards people who said no to him, who turned their back on him. None of them portray God as a God who would run towards a sinner and hug him and kiss him, except for Christianity. And that's what the father does. And in the midst of being squeezed and kissed, he starts to go into his speech. Oh, dad, um, this is awkward. Uh, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. I'd like to just be one of the hired servants. Like, I'm just, you know. And his dad cuts him off. Doesn't even let him finish his speech. Listen to what he says to his servants. He says, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Go get the the, the calf that we've been fattening. Why? Because we must, say it with me, celebrate with a feast. This is God's heart for people that have walked away, wandered away celebration for this son of mine he was dead and now he's returned to life he was lost and now he's found and so the what the party began what <laughs> god wants to throw a party for people who turn around and come back and say i have blown it i have messed up i'm so sorry i can keep preaching but I think it's better not to because sometimes you just need to see it. You just need to taste it. You just need to feel it from a real person. I want you to hear Kaylee's story because it's a story of someone who did this very thing. Walked away from God, turned around, came back. That which was out of place was put back into place. Check out Kaylee's story.
1: I'm Kaylee Cork and I've been coming to Emmanuel for two years now. I found out my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer um, shortly after I started my freshman year of high school. I already didn't really have a lot of friends, and now I was worried about not having a mom. I kind of just fell into a hole of sadness and depression and didn't really want to participate in making friends or doing well in classes, um, started stealing which is what um, landed me probation. They told me that I was going to be emptying trash at a church. Emmanuel was at church. When I started doing community service here, um, the lady who was supposed to be my supervisor was not on time, and I actually had to sit through service waiting on her. I remember sitting there and thinking that everyone around me was delusional and that They were singing and praising something that wasn't real. Yet when he started talking and giving the message, I felt like he was talking directly to me and I cried the whole time. I left because I didn't feel like I belonged. I didn't feel like if I stayed, it was gonna make any difference in the damage I had already done in my life, the choices that I had made. It wasn't gonna make my mom not sick. And I felt like if there, if there was a God, He would have taken it away already. It got to the point where I was so mad and I, and I was angry at God that it affected the way I treated her and my family. Even after learning my senior year that my mom had actually entered remission, I had already decided that it wasn't for me. Being a Christ follower wasn't for me. It put me on a pretty pretty dark path. The following four years after I graduated high school and after my mom was in remission, I developed uh, an alcohol problem, a drug problem, and a sex problem. And it got pretty heavy to the point where I didn't care how it was affecting me, I didn't care how it was affecting my family. I could do whatever I wanted with whoever I wanted, however I wanted, and it was nobody. There was nobody to hold me accountable for anything until I had to hold myself accountable. When those decisions led to me getting pregnant with my son I had to stop doing everything that I thought was important to me at the time. After leaving all of those bad habits the people who I thought were my friends and my family kind of left too and so I felt alone. I felt like I didn't have anywhere to go, I'd nobody to talk to. I wasn't really sure that church would be a good place to go either because I didn't have a ring on my finger, I didn't have a man with me, and I knew people would be staring. I didn't have money, I didn't have a place to raise a child. I was a mess myself. I didn't know how I was gonna take care of a little human too. I was barely able to take care of myself. So I just needed to clear my head and went for a drive and drove for a long time. And I uh, actually thought about just driving off the side of the road quite a few times. I didn't think that the world needed me, and I wasn't equipped to take care of a kid either. After driving for a while, I ended up um, in the old parking lot of my childhood church. It was the first time I'd been in a church since I was doing community service at Emmanuel. It was kind of the same overwhelming feeling that I had when I was listening to Danny talk. And I just kind of gave up, and I asked God what He wanted me to do and what His plan was going forward because I, I needed help. God was actually there. Um, and that He was actually trying trying to reach out to me, and following that day, I ended up coming back to Emmanuel for the first time in four years. And it was a much different experience from the first time I stepped foot here. I felt like I wanted to be there. and. I didn't have another option. My life had to turn around. All the times that my mom told me to pursue God and and to go after God and to go to church and to pray, and I never did any of it, but I also didn't pay attention to the little things that God was putting in my life and doing in my life that were showing me that he was actively pursuing me and pursuing a friendship and a relationship with me. And it's not until now that I noticed those little pieces fit together. Our family hasn't sat together in a church since I was a little girl, and now my entire family is part of the church. I used to make fun of people for praying and worshiping. I can't not sing now. I can't not hold my hands up, because I know His presence is real. God did find me. For a long time, I thought that He had given up on me But I think no matter where I ran to, he was still there and he was still chasing after me and there was nowhere I could go and I'm glad he did find me.
0: One of my favorite things she said in that video, there's so many good things, but no matter where I went, no matter where I ran to, God was chasing after me. That is our Father's heart for every single human being on this planet. You have a Kaylee in your life, don't you? Yes or no? You have two, three. Somebody that you know is on the wrong path, they need to turn into the kingdom of God and find life, grace, grace hope, meaning, purpose. That is what our church is all about. We are on a relentless pursuit to put that which is out of place back into place. If that's your heart, it matches the heart of this church, the mission of this church. Before Jesus went back to heaven, he died on the cross for our sins. He came back to life. Before he left, he said something very clear to his disciples. John chapter 20, verse 20. I'll never forget this. I was sitting in a class, a missions class at Liberty University. And the teacher of that that class said, this is the direction for your life. Whether you're full-time ministry or average run-of-the-mill Christ follower, this is the mission of your life. Jesus gave it to us. John chapter 20, verse 21 he said to his disciples peace to be peace be with you as the father has sent me into this world to do what to put back into place what is out of place as the father has sent me so now i'm sending who me so sitting in that classroom some 18 years ago i'm like oh i get it like whether I had no plans of becoming a pastor, that wasn't on, on my on my you know, to-do list. I was just a like regular guy just trying to learn how to follow Christ. Like I'm like, great, that's my mission. Whatever it is I end up doing with my life, I'm going to... Jesus has handed the ball off to me. And now it's my job to kind of... Fulfill the mission. I think it's kind of crazy, Jesus, that you would do that because we're messed up people. We're unfaithful people. We're sinful people. Nevertheless, he says, I'm going to fulfill the mission through you. If he were here today, this is what he would say to us. I am going to put into place what is out of place through you. It's a little bit louder. You, through me, through you. Like Jesus is not here anymore. Have you noticed? If he were, I'd ask him to give the talk. That would be, be a lot better than me, right? He says, no, 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 I, I've left and I've given you my spirit and now, now the ball is in your hands and I want you to relentlessly pursue your friends as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Who are the Kayleys in your life? Who are the people that are going the wrong way? If you're a high school student, you, you have hundreds of these people in your life. Middle school student, you have hundreds of these people in your life going down the wrong path pursuing the wrong things. If you work in an office complex, you have hundreds of people in your life. If you're a teacher, you're, you have coworkers and students all around you that are going down the wrong path. Wherever you are in your life, there are people around you like Kaylee who are just one invitation away from perhaps turning their entire life around and stepping into the kingdom of God. And you know, we don't have much time You know, if you were listening closely to Kaylee's video, she said when she was on that drive, she thought about driving off the road a few times. Like, we don't have all the time in the world. Like, people commit suicide every day. Like, people die every day of accidents and tragedies like we we don't have all the time in the world to sit around like oh well maybe i'll talk maybe i'll invite them to church like, like next year or you know it, you know it's too tense to talk about religion around the thanksgiving table like i don't want to bring it up like i don't want to make it like ah uh, we don't have that kind of time like we don't know how long people are going to live and if they should die it's over game over in your notes i wrote it like this unless people are found they will be out of place forever forever listen i wish there was a place called purgatory but i've read the book cover to cover many many times i wish there was this holding place called purgatory that if you didn't if you weren't a christ follower you know people on earth could pray for you and then maybe maybe after a few years or or whatever you could go to heaven after that and maybe not go to the other place i wish that were true but it's not it's not in the book i've checked once this life is over, your eternal destiny is sealed. That's the way Jesus taught it. This life is the only chance we get. We don't have all the time in the world. We have to have conversations. We have to love on people and invite them and help them to turn into the kingdom of God. So let me ask you a question. Who are you gonna relentlessly pursue? Like who are the Kaylees in your life? Who are those people that are one breath away from being out of place forever? God wants to use you in their life. And that's why we as a church have set it up to where to, to empower you, to encourage you, to invite them and to bring them to hear the message of the gospel. Love, forgiveness, hope, grace, purpose, meaning, peace and joy. But I can't invite your friends because I don't have proximity. I'm not in your life. You must invite them. You must bring them. We would love for you right now, as all of our campuses, we would love for you to think about those people, two, three, four, five people, whoever they are in your life, and we would love for you to write their names on the boards. It's okay to write on the walls in church. <laughs> now, we actually, we actually used to write on stage, but then it looked like graffiti and it, it just was bad on camera, but anyway. <laughs> We want, we want every single one of you, we put these name boards all across each campus. You can see them here. They're up to here at the Greenwood campus from the balcony. Why are those there? Because we want you to write the names down of the people, the Kayleys in your life, that, that if they're not found in this life, they will spend eternity lost forever. This is a big deal. So our band's gonna lead us in a song here, and I wanna encourage you, all of all of our campuses, every single one of you, if it's just one person in your mind, I would love for you to get out of your seat during this song and leave, and there's markers back there, there's markers right by the board, and, and, and just write their name down, and then say a prayer and say, God, give me the courage to relentlessly pursue this person. Don't write a famous person, don't write prayers for somebody who's sick, that's not what the boards are for, okay? They're for people in your life that if not found, will be out of place forever. Will you pray with me? First of all, God, we wanna say thank you for pursuing Kaylee, for relentlessly pursuing her through her parents, through circumstances, through friends, to bring her home. You put a person who is out of place into place. And so we we give you praise for that. God, right now we ask, that you would put that person in our lives, on our heart, burden us for them. They need to turn back into your kingdom. Give us the courage right now to get out of our seat and get uncomfortable and write their names down on the board and begin praying for an opportunity to talk to them, to invite them and to bring them to a service. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. The basis for repentance, the motivation for turning back to God, the rationale for returning home is the knowledge of God's unconditional love. Listen, listen, listen. When the Father saw the Son a long way off, filled with love and compassion, He ran. He ran. Do you understand that? He didn't walk He ran towards the sun. And when he got to the sun, he grabbed him. And when he grabbed him, he kissed him. Do you feel that? Do you sense that? The basis for coming home to God is the absolute knowledge and confidence that when you do, he will accept you. Some of you needed to hear that today. And some of you need to repent and turn to God and find your home in the kingdom and receive forgiveness and grace. And you know who you are. You're the Kayleys in the crowd right now. Some of you are Christians. You're still, you need to repent and come home. Some of you are not yet in the kingdom and you need to come home for the first time. And so I'm gonna say a prayer, whoever, whichever one you are, I'm gonna say a prayer and this is your moment. The father's been searching the horizon. He's like, finally she's here, she's coming. He's here, and he's running towards you in this moment, and he wants to put his arms around you and put a robe on you and feet and shoes for your feet and a ring for your finger, and he wants to celebrate with the calf, and he wants to have a party. If that's you right now, I'm gonna say a simple prayer. Just close your eyes. Whatever campus you're at, watching online here at Greenwood, this is your moment. The Father's waiting. Come home to him right now. Say this to him, dear Jesus, Thank you for loving me. Thank you for never giving up on me. I come home now. I put my trust in you today, your unconditional love and mercy. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin, proving your love for me, washing away all my guilt and shame, taking the penalty in my place. I trust in you today. I sense and receive your love and compassion, your tender arms around me, your soft kiss on my face. I'm your child. It's so good to be home. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.